Blue foul. We'll take a shot downfield. And it is held in by Bryce Bama. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Harder to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. New foul. Locked and one to the end zone, caught, touchdown Shea Fields. Out the right hand side, ball is fumbled, picked up by Kenneth Olamode, and he runs it in from the six, touchdown, touchdown Colorado. The defense comes up big again. Welcome in to Buff Stampede Radio, sponsored by the Blake Street Tavern, the National Sports Bar of the Year, located one block north of Coors Field. My name is Adam Munster-Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, T-minus five weeks until camp, where we're getting closer. Yeah, it seems like time is flying. It's crazy how quick we're already getting. Um, I don't know, for a long time it felt like the season was never going to get here, but now it definitely, you can, uh, you can smell it on the horizon. I got to get a couple more rounds in, maybe a quick vacation, and then I'll be ready for camp. Yeah, I've got plenty of vacations, unfortunately, for me this year. So, you had a bunch of weddings. How how many down are you uh, this summer? Um, I'm two down. I have a wedding July fourth weekend, bachelor party in July, another wedding Labor Day weekend. We're missing CSU. We've talked about that before. Um, Boys trip in August, and then another bachelor party in August too. So. I'm excited for our mailbag in this show. I th- thought we got some creative questions, so excited to get into that. But first, a few news items to talk about. Tony Brown transferring from Texas Tech to CU. Uh, and, you know, most CU fans will remember that it, his recruiting battle came down to Colorado and Texas Tech. And ironically, it was Darren Chavarini who recruited him to Lubbock. Four-star recruit coming out of high school. I looked back at his high school clips, and this kid has wheels. He really has, has athleticism. Goes to Texas Tech, is one of their freshman standouts during his first camp there. Plays as a true freshman, plays as a true sophomore, but it seemed like his development kind of stunted after Darren Chevrini left. What are your thoughts here? Uh, would you have rather seen them use that scholarship for a 2018 receiver, or did you like the idea of bringing him in? No, I mean, I loved him coming out of high school, so I uh, definitely like to take a flyer on him. I mean, he played well as a freshman, I thought. Um, last year, I didn't follow the program enough to say, but he obviously – Fell out of favor in one way or another. Uh, maybe just didn't fit with what the new wide receivers coach likes to do in the offense. I'm not 100% sure exactly how it played out. But, I mean, between his high school film, his offers, and what he was able to do as a freshman at Texas Tech, there's obviously talent there. Um, and it kind of evens out the classes. Obviously, a lot of the um, senior wide receivers that we have on the roster this year are not going to be available by the time he can play. So, um, from that perspective, I think it's an interesting addition. Uh, Cheverini obviously has a good relationship with him and liked him coming out of high school. So, I mean, worst case scenario is you add depth. 
Yeah, if you want to take the positive view, you look at what Darren Cheverini did with Devin Ross and Bryce Boba, who right. were kind of where you know Tony Brown honestly was yeah. after this last season at Texas Tech. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of people are saying Bryce Bobo is our most likely NFL prospect. Uh, I mean, I think two years ago, most people would have laughed you out of the room if you said that was likely to be the case. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's done a good job of finding what guys are struggling with and figuring out some way to really improve them in that area. So, I mean, it's hard not to trust Cheverini. If you had like a Tony Clemens type currency, would, would, would you take that or? Yeah, I mean, a guy who his senior year definitely had a huge, huge um, performance for for CU. Did he get drafted? He did, right? He did, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I, th- I would think he would have to take that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tony Clemens was a little bit of a complicated thing, and it really took until the very end of his senior year for it to shine through, but mm-hmm. it eventually paid off in the end. But Other news, Puki Maka transferring to a California junior college. This is not a move that's going to affect Colorado on the field, obviously, this season. They have solid depth at outside linebacker, and it was tough to project where Puki Maka is going to be in two or three years down the road. That said, I still wouldn't consider this good attrition. I think this is a guy you would have liked to keep in your program had he – uh, been a little bit more focused in the classroom and, and had a little bit more maturity early on in his career at CU. Yeah, it's disappointing because, I mean, he, he was a fun kid, I think, came into camp. His coach was pretty cool. I remember that as well. Um, it just I don't know. There seems to be a trend with the Utah guys. We really struggle in Utah. I wonder if it might be worth it for the staff to just start looking elsewhere because I can't remember the last Utah success story we've had. It's been a while. Maybe Sam Bennion ends up being that, but certainly way too early to right. say that's yeah. going to happen. Uh, with Christian Shaver, I'm trying to think of who else who else has fizzled up from Utah. Um, well, I mean, they had the one guy that didn't T.J. signing. Right, yeah. T.J. Fajoko. Um, there's another Utah kid. Well, I mean, way back in the day, Lin Katoa. That oh, didn't, my goodness, yeah. That didn't work out well either. Uh, yeah, it just seems like it's been a while since a guy from Utah really actually helped us on the field. But maybe I'm missing somebody. I don't know. Obviously, the uh, the reports were released. Mike McIntyre's contract approved, three-year contract extension to his previous deal. So his contract now runs through 2021, beginning with a base salary just shy of $3 million. You look at some of the incentives in there, he's going to make more than $3 million. I think some of those are like a 75% graduation rate. I mean, that's pretty much a slam dunk in right. terms of this program. Um, there's a local sports writer that took exception to the timing of the vote on McIntyre's contract. Uh, obviously, because it came on the heels of the Tumpkin investigation. But let's not forget, this was something that dragged on, was delayed since December. Mike McIntyre, when, I mean, that's a stressful thing, waiting that long and having to go through this whole investigation. Uh, what was your your whole takeaway from, from well, this Well, I mean, the, the closure of the investigation was the only thing holding up his contract extension. Right. It was already happening until all this came out. So I don't see how you could be surprised by the timing of it. I mean, this was kind of the last hurdle to get it approved, and once they felt like, okay, there are obviously some mistakes made here, but nothing worth firing anybody over, once that just you know that was the decision they came to, I, I mean, I don't understand what we're waiting for at that point. Yeah, I mean, the point there is, well, he's announcing that he's got to pay this $100,000, yet he's getting this contract extension, but those are clearly separate situations. Yeah, they are separate situations, and I, I see the argument there, but... I mean, that's kind of how life works one way or another. Whether it's tomorrow or next month, he's still going to get this contract extension. So right. I'm not really sure why it matters in terms of that. Um, you know, and plus, it, 
you know, the foundation or whatever it goes to still receives that money. I mean, like, yeah, maybe it's not uh, exactly how you'd like it to play out, but they can still use the funds um, to their benefit, and that's, you know, really all that matters in hindsight, at least from their perspective. The overlying theme of both the Cozen O'Connor report and the Wavehelmer report is basically they needed to go to the OIEC. Right. And I've talked a lot about the lack of training, the fact that they hadn't gotten trained since 2013, and it was only online training and only specified things that happened on campus. So you, in my opinion, you, you couldn't have expected Mike McIntyre, football coach, to know what to do in that situation. He did go to a superior. That said, I'm surprised that Phil DiStefano actually didn't get punished more. This is a man that created the OIEC. And he's, he was around, yeah, I know he wasn't the chancellor, but he was around during the, the Barnett right. so-called scandal. He's got to know better in that situation. Yeah, it definitely does seem like he came out looking the worst out of this deal. Um, and that might that might just be a biased thing for me because obviously I'm closer to the football program. But that's I've seen a lot of outsiders say the same thing. Uh, football scoop obviously focused a lot on McIntyre, which they're I, idiots, right? I think I think most people <laughs> saw the agenda there pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I was a little surprised there wasn't more going on for DeStefano, especially given how close he was to the OIEC. I always try to mess that up somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that whole situation and then just him promoting him to being the defensive coordinator before the bowl game, those are the only two things that I, you kind of look at and you're like, yeah, that probably wasn't very smart. Yeah. Um, but hopefully you can learn from it going forward. And this is not going to go away completely anytime soon. There's the Joe Tumpkin trial that actually the Boulder Daily Camera had a story about this morning. The defense team is, is, has a squabble with the prosecution about uh, the victim's phone records that they're not willing to hand over. So this might go to the Colorado Supreme Court in terms of a, a, a decision with the phone records. So this could drag on for a long time. They're saying that might not even, the decision on the phone records could drag on until the fall. Um, and then you have the victim most likely going to sue the university. And my thought on that is that if CU fought this and this went to court, they'd have a good chance to actually not have to pay her, but the university is not going to want to have to do that. And they're most likely just going to settle to keep it from going to court. Yeah, that's probably the end result, uh, you know, which is a little bit disappointing given some of the details on the case that we know, and it's hard to really blame the university here. I mean, this happened off campus, so I don't, and they obviously responded to the Tumpkin information quickly enough. I mean, he, they removed him as an employee of the university pretty quickly. So, Well, three days before even uh, charges were filed, he was forced to resign. So, yeah. so uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but yeah, I, um, it doesn't seem like she's going to have a great case here. Yeah, but again... You don't want this dragged through the media for however long that trial would take, so you're probably going to settle there. On to some other uh, stuff here. The Summer Bridge program began at Colorado earlier this week. If you didn't, you should check out my Buff Stampede Bits feature. I I talked a lot about uh, what the Summer Bridge program is about. I recycled a great quote from Katie Basin on the importance of that program. I threw in there also the the, the news that Sebastian Olver, Casey Roddick, and Jalen Sammy are likely to gray shirt. Still not on campus. Terrence Lang, of course, who see you flip from UCLA three days after signing day. Still a chance, though, that Lang will get on campus for camp. He's just got a little bit more summer work to do, so we'll see how that pans out. This puts CU, even with um, the transfer in from Tony Brown, this puts them right at that 85 number, 
which of course people always freak about every year, freak out about every year after signing day, but that number and always works itself out. It sure does. And we're not even through fall camp yet. It seems like someone usually heads out that way too. So, I mean, they, they don't have to in this particular yeah. case, but usually one or two guys drop out in that time frame as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we're getting there. We're close. I'm a little surprised by over, but it makes sense. I mean, a guy who hasn't played a ton of football in his career. Um, and they don't, I don't think, need him for depth this upcoming season. So it works out. If there is an open spot, I think of those three, Casey Roddick would be the most likely to come in. Yeah. So we'll see. A couple more commitments since our last show. Number seven and eight for 2018. Frank Phillip, offensive tackle from Houston. And Clyde Moore, a middle linebacker from California. Share your thoughts on these two guys, Tyler. Uh, Phillip, it's kind of an interesting case, I guess you could say. Kind of late bloomer. You know, a guy that you shared a story on the other day talking about Harvard didn't even notice him on their campus to being a guy that had Rice was all over him, Colorado obviously offered. Baylor seemed pretty interested in him as well. Uh, a guy who's grown a ton. Colorado seems to do really well with those type of kids, guys you see in your you know junior season at 235 and all of a sudden they're 280, 290 by the time they get on campus. So um, he's an interesting case. I think he's obviously going to play outside for us most likely. But mm-hmm. you, it's really tough to determine how the O-line guys are going to develop. So that, that's, those are my thoughts there. I have a gut feeling he's going to be really good. It's not fail-proof. I've been wrong. You can look at my post-signing day picks every year. and it's, I just have a feeling about him. He's a real different type kid. He wasn't doing the, chasing all the offers. He's a really smart kid. Like you mentioned, could have gone to the Ivy League. So I have a good feeling about him. Yeah. Clyde Moore, what, what are your thoughts there? Uh, your physical linebacker, um, which is a, something you always want to see. Seems like we have a lot of inside guys right now. Uh, so depth-wise, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. Uh, maybe not the biggest freak athlete in the entire world, but already a big body, big frame. Uh, and he's got a brother who's a walk-on at USC. My brother basically just said he's, he's a good player, but not quite as athletic as we'd like to see in our program, but someone who I think can help in the Pac-12 and probably is a good special teams guy as well. Yeah, you like his physicality, his yeah. closing speed. Seems to have good instincts, like you said. I think that's the athleticism is the only thing that's really keeping him from being a blue chip type guy. If, uh, you know, the fringe next fringe guy is kind of what, where Colorado is right now. A couple more ten win seasons, maybe that changes. But right. tough break for Ray Robinson, of course, uh, a 2018 verbal commit from Highlands Ranch. He suffered a torn ACL during a seven on seven game. The good news there, he's going to be an early enrollee at CU in January. I was disappointed. We saw Jake Rubley, the freshman phenom, or not even a freshman yet. He's going to be a freshman beginning later this summer. But Ray Robinson plays some receiver. It would have been fun to go out and watch those guys play together. Yeah, I really am pretty high on Ray Robinson and what I think he can do for Colorado. So I was excited to watch him play this year and kind of validate my thoughts on him a little bit. Uh, so that would be disappointing. But, uh, you know, I mean, ACL these days – isn't as big of a deal as it used to be. He's coming in early to rehab and do all that stuff, so I'm not too concerned with it long term. He was, what, a 10-8 guy in the 100? Yeah, somewhere just under, I think, 11 seconds, if I remember correctly. Well, he was number two, I think, behind. Yeah, he was, he, he, he's he got some speed. Yeah, so. behind Dimitri Stanley, I think. Yeah, right? Is that right? yeah. yeah. So camp season is winding down. I talked briefly about that camp where we saw Jake Rubley. Not a whole lot of other guys at that camp. Uh, yeah, there's another not, kid. not 18 kids at least. A couple of 19, and then obviously Rubley was a 21, which is yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see. We have another camp today, so yep. see if we have any uh, uh, any other guys that are of interest to us. 
there's maybe a misperception that CU needs to be having a lot of blue chippers at these camps. Right. You're just not going to do that. USC can get away with that a little bit because it's it's driving distance for a lot of those guys. Uh, but typically, recruits that have offers don't feel the need to go to these camps anymore. Right, especially since most of these two camps are going to be in-state guys. There just aren't as many of them, obviously. Uh, and they put a lot more focus on going out of state to do these camps, especially now that you can recruit at them. So I think that's kind of the emphasis and I mean, eight commits already, so working out for them, it seems like. Four junior college prospects on campus for official visits this week, a bunch of un- other unofficial visits. Definitely stay tuned to buffstampede.com for more on the, on uh, those guys as we catch up with them after their trip. Blake Stenstrom goes out to the Elite 11. He doesn't make that final grouping, but it sounds like he held his own out there. We had video footage of him. Gets the ball out quick, good poise. You know, just a little bit off on, especially some of those deeper throws. If you look at that video, yeah, I mean, you have to remember he's still, he hasn't played a ton of football, especially at the varsity level. So there's going to be some adjustments for him. But even to, you know, show out enough to be in that final 25, I think is what they brought out there. You know, he's he's a guy that you know the scouts are taking notice of. Uh, I think he has a chance to have a huge senior season. And obviously, Valor plays a ton of national powerhouses. So you'll see him on TV. You'll see him play some of these against some of these four and five star guys. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to get out there as, to as many Valor games as I can this fall. We have a new platform coming to buffstampede.com through the whole Scout Network, actually, in a couple weeks. Really excited about that. There's going to be a new message board layout. And some really nice back-end features for me from the admin side of things. But I know one of the complaints we had moving over from Rivals to Scout is that when you go on the message board and open a thread, it doesn't automatically take you to the last post you read, which is – if you're on the board a lot, that's really inconvenient. Fortunately, that's one of the new features we're going to have, which will be nice. There are a lot of other bells and whistles we'll have with it as well. Yeah, it's actually not one that I use typically, but it's definitely one that seems like everybody else is really fond of. Yeah. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, I think, you know, they'll keep making improvements, get better and better as they get more and more accustomed to what what everybody wants. I mean, there's been a lot of changes for both Tempe the last two years, so it's been kind of hard to follow at times, but I think we're in a lot more stable place now. I heard a rumor that the crystal ball feature is going to be included on the new Buff Stampede, the new Scout. My issue with that is it just seems too clickbaity, but I will say the Colorado 24-7 site hasn't had a publisher in a really long time, and that stupid crystal ball gets people bringing it up on our board, so it, it, it seems to work. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, it's one of those things that maybe we don't like as much because it's kind of gimmicky. You yeah, know, people, right. people can always change their vote, and like you see guys flip all the time once it becomes obvious where someone's going to go. I wish they were a little more strict on that. Like you don't, I don't, you got to own own it if you're right, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that, which is you know, there's a little more accountability involved in that too, right? Like everyone just wants to be at a hundred percent, so you just flip it once you know what's going to happen. But I, I don't really think that tells a whole lot to your readers. Uh, you see a lot of bias out there too. Like there's just a lot of guys. You know, random school Arkansas just be like oh yeah this kid's coming to Arkansas until he's not right right um so yeah I'd like them to police that a little bit more I guess I think it'd be fun between all the publishers too to see you know how accurate it is kind of like people do with the NCAA tournament um predictions and stuff like that rank each other yeah that'd be kind of fun it's time to dive into the buff stampede radio mailbag which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. 
the Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Dorn09 asked, do you feel like the McIntyre extension will boost recruiting? Also, is McIntyre's buyout enough to scare off any other schools looking for a new coach? So the buyout is $2.3 million if terminated in the first year of the contract, and it goes down to $1.9 million in year two, $1.6 million in year three, $1.3 year four, and an even $1 million in year five. That is not scaring off no, any team. Not anyone close, especially since, I mean, if he's... He's going to be going to an SEC school, probably, if I had to guess if he's leaving for a better job. Or a Texas right. school. You, same, same rules apply there. They, they're not worried about money. Right. <laughs> if they want him, they're going to bring him. So, um, no, that definitely isn't going to stop anybody. Uh, the extension will boost recruiting. Uh, yes, but also I would really just say it's back to how things would have been going if we didn't have the controversy. So, it is a boost because, obviously, while we were waiting, there wasn't a whole lot going on, but... I think it's just kind of back to where we were going to be before. Right. It, it's one of those things, if he didn't get the contract extension, it would have had a massive negative right. influence. Yeah. But five-star recruits are not just banging down the door today because of it. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. St. Pete Buff asked, was the Tumpkin investigation such an exhausting process for Mike McIntyre and Rick George that if a better offer were to come along next year to either of them, they would immediately bolt? That's the end of his question. I don't think exhausting is the right word. Stressful was the process for them. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. And yeah, I do think that there does have to be concern there. Um, you know, once these things play out, it seems like, all oh, the pressure is relieved. But I don't know, man. I mean, if you get a decent offer, this is always going to stick in the back of your mind. Uh, I think there definitely should be some concern for these two guys moving forward. Yeah, if I'm a football coach, you're you giving me online training four years ago, and it doesn't even include the situation that's involved here, and I'm somewhat vilified for it, I'm going to kind of hold that grudge against the university a little bit. That's just me. But, you know, sometimes things have a, have a way of working, you know, kind of smoothing over over right. time. Right. So. I mean, yeah, I think once you're in it, it, there's a lot of overreaction, there's a lot of frustration, stress, whatever it may be, once it's all done. And nothing really too crazy came out of this for either Rick George or Coach McIntyre. I think, you know, I think the relief of just having it over with might change some opinions. But yeah, I do think there is some overlying concern. T Town Buff asked, "Who will win the battle between Anthony Julmis and Trey Udofia? Of course, at that cornerback cornerback spot. Uh, well, I don't really know for sure, but I think Wiggly will probably be in this rotation as well to some degree. Um, if I had to guess, I'd probably say Tony Jumisi right now would be would be my go-to guy. I just think he has really ridiculous athleticism and um, has a chance to be really special there. I think Udofi is going to be really good too, but um, I think they can play him in a few more positions. So you might see Udofi play a little more nickel. I think Jumisi has the higher upside, and it's weird to say this because Jumisi already played in the Pac-12 and Trey Udofi doesn't. But I feel like Trey is a little bit more solid for this season, a little bit more kind of ready to, to handle that role. I mean, he's going to give up. I mean, physically, he's certainly bigger. You know, just like as a, he's a little more ready there. But, yeah, I think Joe Meese, All right. it seems to me like kind of what they do with Isaiah Oliver. They see a lot of upside potential there. They're going to throw him in there in the fire a little bit. And then hopefully down the line he's a chance to be an NFL guy. Right, you got Joe Meese. I got Udofia. We'll see. 
Playball22 asked, based upon spring performance, which offensive and defensive positions are solidified and which are up for competition? I mean, I think you're looking offensively, barring injury, you pretty much know your starter at every offensive position except maybe tight end and maybe X receiver with Jawan Winfrey right. coming back, KB on Anto's emergence, which you mentioned Bryce Bobo potentially being the top pro prospect, so it's funny to have that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, but that's what a lot of the draft scouting sites are saying right now. Um, yeah, I guess the offensive line is certainly solidified. I think quarterback is obviously solidified as well, along with running back and Phil's your starter there. Um, wide receiver, I, there's a lot of guys that we know are going to play a lot, where and how much they play, I think, is yeah. definitely way up in the air. Defensively, I'm not sure there's a single starter that's 100% solidified, except for maybe, interestingly, Foe. Um, cause I think Rick Ambo is solidified. Yeah, yeah, Rick Ambo too, probably. I mean, we have some concerns Isaiah about Oliver. Foe. Yeah, I mean, and Isaiah Oliver, yeah. right. But, I mean, there's going to be a lot of things shaken out on the defensive side, especially on the D-line. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Javier Edwards is going to play a ton. But Go, Yeah, going back to offense, I think running back could be an – backup running back could be an interesting battle if Kyle Evans isn't 100% right. healthy. And if Michael Atkins is. Right. It seems like no matter how much he struggles, the staff still they, – they really want him to be successful. He's always brought up, so – We'll see. Well, and I think the backup depth on the offensive line could be interesting as well. You know, you could have a Brett Tons potentially now that he's got a whole spring under yeah. his belt on that side of the ball, be a guy that could be one of your first guys off the bench there. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot to shake out for sure. But I mean, there there are guys, going back to defense now, Drew Lewis, I think, is a has a pretty heavy lead at Jack Linebacker. I think Nick Fisher has a pretty heavy lead in yeah. that other safety and Ryan Muller, you know, is going to play a ton. Not exactly buff sure where, but... The buff backer, yeah. I think. And then, yeah, and then NJ Follow probably, again, is going to play decent minutes. Yeah, and then well, we, Derek McCartney, of course, we didn't mention him. Right, Leo Jackson yeah. will play a ton of minutes. Javier probably. Edwards, probably your nose tackle. Yeah, but I think there's going to be a lot more... There's a lot of guys in the defense last year that played pretty much every snap. And I think this year you'll see there's going to be a lot more guys out there rotating in and out. The nickelback isn't going to be used quite as much. It's more of a passing down situation now, but mm-hmm. no one's really talking about Ronnie Blackman actually was running primarily with the ones there, redshirt freshman. You mentioned Dante Wigley a little bit earlier at the cornerback. He's practicing there too. That is one of the more up for grab spots yeah. on defense. And then uh, Evan White too could factor in a little bit too, at buff backer now that he's back on campus. Yeah. CL34 asked, which player has the biggest shoes to fill? I know the easy answer is Steven Montez, but I don't necessarily agree. I don't agree with that either. Um, yeah, I don't either. So, who do you have? Um, I would say probably Isaiah Oliver. If his defense is going to be t- you know, be solid enough um, next year to, to get us to a bowl game, I think. He doesn't have to be Cheeto, but he does have to lock down that other side of the field. I'm going to go with Jimmy Gilbert being the, the toughest guy to replace from last year. which And I know Derek McCartney can fill the some of that void, but he's gotten quite a bit bigger during his time at CU. Mm-hmm. I just don't see him as that dynamic pass rusher that yeah, Jimmy Gilbert Yeah, they was. play a totally different role. I mean, I think we missed a lot of what he can do on the edge last year. I mean, watching – Ryan Muller did a lot of really good things, but watching him try to seal the edge was difficult at times. I think McCartney's going to make Rick Gamboa's job a lot easier too because – 
you know, he's he obviously can't plug every hole. He's just not fast enough to do that. He's smart. But if he knows McCartney, McCartney is one of those guys, too. He's going to be where he's supposed to be. He's going to seal the edge, which lets Gamboa kind of do his thing. I think that dynamic is going to be really interesting to watch for them this year. Yeah. Ravens 08-11 asked, does Shea Fields break Nelson Spruce's touchdown record? Uh, for those that don't know, Nelson Spruce's touchdown record is 23 in his career, and Shea Fields enters his senior season with 17. You look last year, Fields had nine touchdown grabs, so if he was able to duplicate that, he would indeed break the record. Juwan Winfrey's back in the mix, a lot of guys. KB on Ento if he doesn't redshirt. I think if I was setting the odds in Vegas at this, it would be pretty even. It'd be like a minus 110. That said, Tyler, I hand you $100. Which side of that are you putting that money on? I'd probably say he does break it. They're going to throw a ton next year. The offense is going to be really dynamic. They're going to score a lot of points. Um, even if all those guys come out and contribute and have big seasons, I still think there's plenty of opportunities for Shea. And they definitely look to him more than any of the other receivers in touchdown situations. So, big play Shea is yeah, what they call him. Right. So, I mean, I think six is a pretty reasonable expectation for him this year. So he's at least tying it, I would say. Okay. Oli Buff asked, what is your early take on the recruiting prowess of the new staff? How are recruits responding to Brown, Ells, and Elliott thus far? Shadon Brown has probably made the most noise. Uh, no surprise. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think just just we've talked about this a ton of times, just his personality. We knew he was going to connect well with the recruits. Um, seems like Elliott has gotten his name mentioned a few times mm -hmm. as well. Um, not so much with Ross Ells, but that's just I mean, what he does for this team. That's, you know, he's not going to be out there. Clyde Moore, I mean, he's the reason, big reason that he committed. So it's not that yeah. he hasn't done anything. Right. No, yeah, I just think the other two have stood out yeah. more at this point. But all have done a pretty good job, I would say. Yeah, if you're uh, – Shadon Brown takes over basically for Charles Clark, and I would say it seems like he's at the bare minimum going to be as good a recruiter and possibly a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Too early to tell. DJ Elliott, I think, is going to end up long-term being better than Levitt. Levitt gets this bolt of energy in his first year, and he makes a bunch of noise. But I think – I mean, at least when he was at CU, it, it really – kind of stalled in year two. Yeah, I mean, even in year one, I think there was a lot of early talk about him, but we didn't get a ton of guys from It was more Twitter range. noise than it was actually right, production. Exactly. Um, you know, scheme-wise, we'll see how, how these guys play. I mean, that's obviously a big part of their job, too, but the recruiting aspect, they're off to a pretty good start. Now, you got to admit, Joe Tumpkin, for all his alleged issues, was a good recruiter. Yeah, and, and the stud scheme-wise, too. I mean, we're going to definitely miss him in that aspect, for sure. Idiot Clown, interesting username, <laughs> uh, had this to say, at some point CU and CSU were said to be in discussions about scheduling future games after Rick George said the current contract was not going to be renewed. Are they still talking? Is that still a possibility? I hope not, as I hate that game. That's the end of his commentary there. Obviously, we know they can't play each other in 2021 or 2022. And then CSU scheduled some uh, power conference opponents in 2025 and 2026, so not likely it's going to happen those two years either. But um, we heard a l last summer that they're most likely going to play again in 2023 and possibly 2024. Nothing's been finalized there. Rick George does have a media roundtable with us coming up here in a couple weeks, so I'll, if no one else asks him, I'll ask him about this. But... Um, I would think that it's going to go to be more of a periodic type right. thing going forward, which I, I think most CU fans would prefer that. Yeah, I would, I would think like a four to six, 
times in a 10-year stretch would be cool. Um, I think a lot of people hate the game because it's every year and there's not a lot of reward for CU doing it every single season. But I do think it's a fun rivalry that's important for the state, um, especially if both teams are going to end up being pretty solid over the next decade, which I think right now looks pretty promising. I mean, CSU is not going to go to a power conference team, I don't think, um, in the short-term future. But, I mean, they've made a bowl game quite a few years in a row. Their coaching staff, I think, is in pretty good shape right now. They're bringing in better recruits just like we are. Uh, so I think if both of these teams can be pretty solid, it'd be a fun rivalry to continue on some level. Yeah, I think after that two-year break in 2021-2022, if they do play in 2023, even some CU fans that don't really like this game will kind of yeah. build up some... It, it'll be a, a, a fun deal to do. I think people will miss it more than they think because CU doesn't really have a natural rivalry within the Pac-12 right now. They're going to miss that aspect a little bit, if, if, it was, if I had to guess. It does sound... I mean, Rick George has made this pretty clear that he wants it going back to the campuses. Yeah. All right, next question, Nip is 13. He actually has a few questions here for us. His first one, what game on the football schedule do you believe will tell us how good this team will be, preferably from the first six games of the schedule? That's the end of his uh, question there. It's got to be week four at home against Washington. Washington. Yeah, I think that's really the only answer for me as well. Um, you know, CSU is an important one, but it's week one. There's a lot of adjustments to be made regardless of the result uh, in that game. And obviously the next two after that, don't really tell you much at all. Um, yeah, Washington. I think Washington is maybe getting slept on a little bit nationally for how good they are going to be. They've lost a lot of guys to the NFL draft. They still have some studs on offense, and they have a lot of returning defensive players that are better than people think. So uh, I, I have a feeling that they're going to be with it in the top ten again, and that's a game that we need to compete in. What are your thoughts on CSU having that game against Cal the week before CU? Oregon State. Oregon State, that's right, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, it helps them. I mean, you get your... Substantially, or are you worried, I, concerned about that? I mean, I don't think they're better than us, so I wouldn't say I'm worried about it, but it does get their feet wet. Um, you know, that's kind of an important first step in terms of getting the football season underway. You know, just having been out there and played a game is important. AG and AU asked, since you can start offering unlimited multi-year contracts starting in August, who do you think will merit the first contract? Well, the coordinators, I think you'll probably see. Well, DJ Elliott is already yeah. on a three-year deal. Okay. So. Well, there you go. That, that's not, I think they'll uh, – man, I don't know. It's hard to really specify which guys are going to get multiple-year deals. I don't know. Can they do that for the strength coach? He's number one on my list. Yeah. If I they mean, can – I would, I would think, think they can make that, do work. that And I don't know. Is Katie Basin in that? She's number two on my list. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> and that's what I would say. I mean, I think those two are both important for the program. Um, you want to stabilize both of those things. I mean, strength and you know conditioning is obviously a huge part of football, and obviously the academic side is really important as well because you don't want guys failing out and not being able to play. So those are big deals. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's Darren Cheverini is a co-offense coordinator, recruiting coordinator, and one of your best recruiters. He's got to be on a multi-year deal. I would even consider giving him a three-year deal. And Clayton Adams has proven to be a really good, solid assistant and recruiter on the staff. He's got to get a multi-year. Deal. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously been here probably, is it the longest now? He's been here since Mac arrived yeah. with Jeff Coates yeah. and Lindgren. Okay. And Gary Bernardi. Multiple-year deal for Gary? Don't put me on the spot. <laughs> 
We'll see. <laughs> and the, I mean, the, I mean, Shivering's the only one that I think for sure needs to be 100% locked up, and Clayton's probably the next guy. All right. Sandbuff with two evaluation questions. Number one, when you evaluate CU players and positions, are your conclusions based on what you see in limited open to the public practices, or do you have access to insider information? I guess we'll answer that before we get to a second one. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we are. Last year, we had what two, three practices open, and then only one in the spring. So you have to rely on sources for sure. Now, a good thing about CU is even when they close them up, you can talk to any player, any coach, mm. and generally people are pretty honest. So you can kind of get a gauge on things that way too. Yeah, I mean, you can get a gauge on what they, their thoughts are. Um, obviously, we like to formulate our own opinions as well. Uh, I don't know. Spring spring ball still leaves a sour taste in my mouth. We didn't get to watch any of these guys, so hopefully they open up a few more of the fall practices. That probably isn't going to happen, though, if we're being realistic. Um, yeah, we rely on other people more than I think maybe we would both like, right. if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I even it's, it sounds silly to say this, but I enjoyed when they would have all open practices, and you'd like. Mm-hmm. You'd find a couple walk-ons that you that you love, even though you knew they weren't getting it on the field. Like a Wes Christensen, you just admired kind of his grit every day in practice to really give you know, the scholarship guys a good look. I, I miss that part of it too. For sure. I mean, you just feel like you're so much better connected to the team. Like you the, you understand what guys are going to play, what guys are not going to play, what guys have good futures, what guys maybe are going to fall down the depth chart. Uh, you just feel, I mean, it's just so much easier to talk about the team when you have that knowledge base. Number two, Sandbuff asked, how do you guys feel about the recruiting star system? Do you get a lot more excited about a four-star than a three-star? So they have many times done the research, and it is drastically your, – your odds of being all-conference, your odds of being a starter, your odds of being an NFL draft pick are drastically better if you're a five-star. They're drastically better when you're a four-star versus a three-star, better when you're a three-star versus a two-star. Yeah. The thing is – there's only so many blue chip guys. There's about, what, about 30 five-star guys in a given year. There's about 300, 300. that fall into that blue chip range. Mm-hmm. And then there are hundreds of three stars. I mean, I mean thousands. thousands yeah. And just a ton of two stars. So they're going to be guys, just based off the sheer numbers, that are going to exceed expectations. There's going to be a lot of Rodney Stewart types because there's so many of them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've written seems like countless articles on this subject. I feel like most people know really where I stand on it. I think it's extremely important. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, okay, a four-star is going to be better than a three-star because we know that's not necessarily true. So I rely on the ranking system. I rely on the offers. I think that's a really big part of it, how many college coaches think this kid can play for their program. And then I also trust my own eyes, too. Um, I think that all comes into play. And then, obviously, once you see them on campus is when you really get the proper knowledge. I mean, it becomes pretty clear whether it's a two-star or a four-star in fall camp, can this kid play for this team now or not? Um, so I think those are all important aspects. But, yeah, I mean, it's not arguable. The numbers back this up a million times over. A four-star and a five-star kid is significantly more likely to make an impact to your football team and to go on to play in the NFL than a three- or a two-star. It's really just that simple. Now, the trap is if all you care about is the recruiting star system, right. 
what our scout guys and rivals guys are the rivals guys are doing in 24/7 they're going out and they're basing these guys on between the lines mm-hmm. you can't with that judge a kid's work ethic his some of those intangible qualities a Daryl Scott you don't know that he's not going to have the work yeah, ethic when he gets on campus there's just too many guys to see you can't see a guy enough times to find out about those type of things yeah so that said you don't want a coaching staff like and I heard this is what Bill Callahan did when he was at Nebraska was just like offering them off stars and highlight tapes and not doing the due diligence you can get in a lot of trouble doing that mm-hmm. so you can't just base it on their their scout rating and, and Mac, McIntyre and his staff absolutely don't they could care less about it and you've seen that with some of the right. guys they've taken most people are that way too. I mean, I can say for 100% certainty, USC falls in that category as well. They could care less if a dude's a three-star or a five-star. There are plenty of dudes that go on campus there that you're like, oh, he's going to end up at USC, that Eric's just like, we have no interest in this kid whatsoever. He's not the type of guy that we want on our team, regardless of what he's ranked. So, it's, yeah, it's not black and white, but uh, you definitely want to see those stars on the commit list for sure. Terzee asked... What is going? What is it going to take for CU to get fair media coverage in this state? You might be waiting a long time for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, but you're biased too, though. You know, like it is what it is. Like if everybody got the coverage we wanted for our favorite teams that we live and die for, I mean, the world would be a tough place for media. Um, I mean, it it does seem like for whatever reason CU isn't loved as much as most other state universities are because there's a lot of guys from out of state and there's all the you know, all the talk about all that. Um, but we overreact a lot, too, I think. Going along those lines, Trim Trab asked, Why, oh, why is Mark Kisla such an insufferable douche? <laughs> Can't argue with that one. <laughs> as much as what I just said contradicts that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've already had a, enough of a few Mark Kisla. I probably should leave this one alone. I mean, he just... Here's the thing about people who make statements to get a reaction. Like, that's cool, but don't be surprised when you get the reaction. That's the one thing I can't stand. He, like, sits there and he's just like, wow, I can't believe all these people are saying this. Like, okay, actually, you this is exactly what you wanted, so why don't you just say that and move on? Fair enough. Nippus13 asked, who is your favorite buff of all time? It can be from any sport, and why were they your favorite? Uh, the answer for me is really simple. Lawrence Vickers loved him. And then he went to the Browns, which was awesome. Most badass football player I've ever watched. Yeah, I didn't get to cover his whole career. Uh, I caught the tail end of it. And the first CU practice that I ever covered, I've never seen a player run more smack on his teammates than Lawrence Vickers. He was amazing. He's got the greatest personality in the world, and he's a badass football player to boot. Um, I will say Derek White. Uh, really, he was so much fun to watch. And that, that was my most, I will always regret how few people watched him play basketball at Colorado because they weren't as good as people thought they were going to be. He was really, truly a special player to watch, just given his story. Um, I mean, I've liked a, liked a lot of basketball players I've seen the day from CU, but his story, it will always be super special to me. And, yeah, for uh, sure. Can't wait to see how it works out for him. Mine is actually a current buff. And I think you could probably guess this one. Phil. Phil Lindsay. Yeah, that's a good one too. I remember the first time I ever talked with him in person, I went down to a Denver South practice, and they're doing the Oklahoma drill. And this is more or less for the linemen, right, to get after it. And the running back is not supposed to see contact, 
But here Phil is just throwing his body into like whoever he can find. And I'm thinking, gosh, when this kid comes over for this interview, he's going to be a little rough around the edges, though, just based on him as a football player. And he comes over, pulls off his helmet with the big afro and a big old smile, and he's just got this great personality. And I was like, okay, I'm going to like this kid. I have a feeling he did the Oklahoma drill with like large flagpoles <laughs> and stuff, just like out of spare time. <laughs> and then his senior year, he plays like an entire football game with the torn ACL. He's just a different type of football player. Yeah, and that's a good example. We talked about the ACL thing earlier of a guy who can still come back and have really productive college career with ACLs. I mean, it sucks for Ray Robinson, but I think yeah. I think it'll work out okay for the most part. And then you see the interviews with him and. If you didn't know him, you go, this can't be for real. Like, this guy cannot have this much energy all the time. <laughs> and it's just, it's him. And he's, he's Phil. Yeah, he's the man. And he's great. I mean, he's always talking about his family. And he's just a good person. So, he's pretty yeah, awesome. That's why, I mean, I, by no means is he an NFL typical running back. But someone's going to fall in love with the dude, I think, if he has a big year. I really do. I mean, his personality is just infectious. Nip is 13 with another question here. On the note of Born, Born to Lead's TV date release, what is your favorite sports movie of all time? Dude, I have no idea. I, There's I, too many. I would probably go with Rudy. I saw that That's as a kid, it. and it was Definitely pretty not inspirational. Rudy. I don't know what it is. I People ask me this all the time, and I'm just so, like, whatever the most recent one I've seen is my favorite, I feel like, dude. Okay. I love them all. I also... in. There are a lot of corny scenes throughout this whole series, but I really like the Rocky series too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good one for sure. And a lot of the, the most recent one, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head right now, but that was pretty incredible. Creed. With, yeah, Creed, Creed thank was you, great. With Michael Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was definitely up there. I, was, I just remember walking out of the theater and just being like, wow, that was a powerful ass movie. Yeah. I'm going to say this and probably piss some people off, but I think Hoosiers is overrated. Actually, I do too. I mean, it's fine. I like it. I'll watch it if you put it in front of me. But yeah, it's a little overrated. Ralphie's running asked, who you got, Mayweather or McGregor? Do I have to answer this? So the current odds right now, McGregor is plus 425 and Mayweather minus 700. So I'll go with the Mayweather should be minus 12,000. Yeah, probably. The only thing there is he hasn't boxed in a while, but with his style, it's... He's defensive. boxed a lot more recently than Conor McGregor. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Dude, it's so bad. It's so bad. The thing about boxing is we all know that like half the time it's rigged right. Right. So the all, there's it's a lose-lose for boxing because he's either going to get worked and totally embarrass the MMA or he's going to win and everyone's going to say it's fixed. Those are the only two outcomes and neither one of them is good for either sport. So I'm not sure why they're doing it other than Conor McGregor. It's really rich now. Yeah. I love, you know, the, getting everybody together, watching a big boxing match or an MMA match, but I'm going to skip this one. I mean, I don't really like boxing or MMA to begin with, and I'm not going to watch this either because Mayweather's never been touched in his life by the world's greatest boxers, and Conor McGregor is a guy who's a decent boxer for a normal citizen and a pretty, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's a pretty good boxer for the MMA, which makes him like the 500th best boxer in the world. Yeah. If we didn't answer your question, it's because, uh, 
it's a topic we've already discussed on a, on a previous podcast. We had a few things asking us about like scheme changes and other things we had talked about before. We also received a question about how the freshman basketball players have looked in pickup games. Haven't heard anything on that yet. Adam, Evan Batty just arrived on campus, so all the freshmen except for uh, the European signee have made it over. I'm sure we're going yeah, <laughs> sure to hear a lot more about that as we get closer to this team's trip to Europe. And hopefully we can stumble upon an amazing uh, play-by-play crew over in... Oh, my God. I think they're going to Italy, oh, right? So or No, England. England, yeah. England, yeah. That sounds right. So well, I guess it won't be as fun. It'll just have the English accent if there is <laughs> any type of play-by-play. I'm actually looking forward to this season because you're going to see a lot of young guys. And I have... This is going to be weird to say, but I have really low expectations. So I don't really see myself being disappointed. I'm just going to enjoy watching these freshmen develop because I think they have a chance to be really special down the line. Yeah. I'm curious to see how George King kind of steps up this year. Yeah, Tory too. I mean, I think they need to – he needs to really become a leader and play the game that he's capable of playing and not try to do too much. Yeah. He's running out of time to do that. Team Colorado is a number one seed in the TBT, which uh, we could have expected. They were in the championship game last year. They're going to face Kimchi Express in the opening round. Didn't look at the roster yet. I don't I, know. I, I did. I did a little research All here. Right, who's on Kimchi Express? No one you've ever heard of, and I'm not joking. There's one guy that played in the D League. Half their team. It was either varsity or they've never played organized basketball before. It's going to be really ugly. Dope. Well, so. see you in the second round. <laughs> yeah. Although, they, this happened one other time. Team 23, I think, is who it was. Right? And they've been in the Final Four a couple times. There's a bunch of no-name guys. And then they had this one dude who no one ever heard of who averaged like 42 a game for the entire tournament. Okay. It was outrageous. So you never know. All right. Derek White is hours away from finding his draft Finding out his draft fate, we're recording this on Thursday morning. Probably updated by most by the time most people listen to this podcast. What are your thoughts here and your expectations? Uh, well, I'm jaded because NBA, NBA guys typically don't love fifth-year seniors. But, I mean, every single person has had positive things to say about Derek White. So, everyone's saying he's going to go in the 20s. That's probably where he should go, but... My concern is that NBA guys always take the younger guy if it's close when, once the time comes. So I wouldn't be shocked if he fell into the second round. I mean, it would be a mistake, but I wouldn't be shocked. And this is a deeper draft, too. Yeah. So I, I'm probably there. I think he's an early second-round pick. Hope I'm wrong. Hope he gets more of that guaranteed money. But even early second round, Spencer Dinwiddie got a three-year deal uh, when he got drafted. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like... There's no way he falls beyond the first 10 picks of the second round. Is what right. Yeah, I, I would be shocked if he got anywhere close to that. I mean, he might slide into the first couple of the second round maybe, but I'd be surprised if it was outside the first five of the second round. All right, I think we covered all the topics. Tyler and I are headed up to Boulder. We're going to shoot some more of those Top Buffs countdown videos. We're going to go check out the CU camp. So we're cutting this one a little bit short, but uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. We're going to be back soon. Before you know it, it's time to preview preseason camp. So looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning in.